I have a special message uh, this morning. Um, I wouldn't normally be in Acts chapter 9, but the Holy Spirit has led me in a different direction. And I want to talk to you this morning about walking with God after failure. Walking with God after failure. And I don't want you to stand this morning for the reading of the word. I, I'm going to just pray because I have a lot of things i got to build up to where the Holy Spirit is leading me. And so I'm just going to ask you to remain seated. Can you just bow your heads and agree in prayer with me? Father, I thank you for who you are. I know who I am in you. And I know every shortcoming of my life. I know all the faults and failures and the tailor-made sins of my past. I know it all, Father. And more importantly, Lord, you know me. And I thank you for saving me and keeping me. And I ask God that you would set me aside this morning. And that you would anoint me, Lord, not for my glory, but for yours. I pray that you would touch hearts and lives and lift us up this morning. Let your spirit elevate us in this house. I pray for your encouragement and your strength. I promise, Lord, that I will point to you for all that is accomplished by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All of us are familiar with the story of David. David was a mighty man. He's known as the lion killer, the bear slayer. He's known as the one who was anointed king by Samuel. He was chosen above his own brothers, the youngest of all of his brothers. He was separated by God. We know him as a phenomenal worship leader, all of us. Uh, when we read the Psalms, many of the Psalms that are written are written by the, by the pen of, of David himself, a great, a great powerful man. He was known as a giant slayer. He is known as a man who could, who could worship God at any time and at any place, whether he's in the palace or he's on the backside of the hills in Jerusalem, he can worship God. He in any circumstance, he was always giving God the glory. He is known as a man that they, they even wrote songs about him because of his, his valiant battles and his valiant fighting for God. He once himself fought 200 Philistines and killed them. He once fought a giant and slayed him. They sang about him. They said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David... His tens of thousands. He's known as a mighty, mighty warrior. He is also called the apple of God's eye. He is also called a man after God's own heart. But the truth is about this great man is he's still just a man. Something I think all of us need to pay attention to is that God never hides the failures of some of his greatest leaders. David's leadership was marked by one very dark spot in his life. Though he is a great man, a giant slayer, a powerful, a powerful worship leader, though he's all those things, he's still just a man. And one day while he's walking on top of the palace, he looks over to the side and there he beholds a very beautiful woman and she is nude and she is bathing Oh, and he can see her clear as day. And instead of churning his eye and fighting lust, 
he looked a little too long. And he gazed upon her. And the Bible said he lusted after her. He desired her. And instead of fighting back lust, he called her to his house. And there he took her and and laid with her. And she became pregnant with David's child. And all the while, she was a married woman. And the man that she was married to was on the battlefield fighting uh, for the kingdom of Israel. David knew that he couldn't hide the sin. He knew he couldn't cover it up. So what does David do? He calls the husband back. His name was Uriah. Calls him back and he thinks, I'll just fellowship with Uriah, send him home. He'll go sleep with his wife. And then we can just say that the child is his and will hide it as if nothing ever happened. But Uriah was a good man and he refused to go to the comforts of his wife. And so he slept under the stars because he felt like all his friends that were fighting weren't getting the comforts of home. So he shouldn't get it. So David thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just, I'll weaken his resolve. And so David calls him back and he gets him drunk. Thinking he'll be drunk and he'll surely do this. He'll go and be with his wife and we can cover this up. But no. Even, even the alcohol couldn't weaken him, and he didn't do it. And because of that, David pens a letter, and he seals it with the king's stamp, and he hands it to Uriah, and written in the letter, it's to his, to his leader on the battlefield, Joab. He says, I want you to put him, put Uriah in the heat of the battle, and there, when the battle is hot, withdraw from him and let the enemy kill him. All of that. From the man who's called a man after God's own heart. The apple of God's eye. God's chosen vessel, the giant killer, the man they sang about, the one that they talked highly about. The great King David has committed a horrific sin. Not just lust, not just adultery, but now even murder. When Uriah was dead, he took Bathsheba and she became his wife, thinking the whole while the cover-up was good. But can I just submit to you that the grace of God is greater than all your secrets? Because it is. Even though nobody else could see what had happened deep in the heart of David was a mark, a sin, a a, a grievous sin against God. And so God sent his prophet Nathan to him to, to confront him. And Nathan pointed his finger at the king and told him he was the sinful man. And then God, through the prophet Nathan, pronounces the judgment that will come upon him. And I want to read this to you. Uh, look at this verse here. Uh, this, is, this is the prophet Nathan speaking in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Can we go there, please? 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is what God said to David because of his sin. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold... I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. Please note those words because those are important. I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. David heard those words and he didn't even understand fully what was going to happen. Because when you get to chapter 13, the adversity from his own family begins. 
The Bible tells us in chapter 13 that Absalom has a very beautiful sister by the name of Tamar. And Tamar is so beautiful that his other brother Amnon is, desires her. And instead of earning her or winning her heart, he takes her and he rapes her. And after he rapes Tamar, Absalom is enraged because David doesn't deal with it, doesn't correct the sin. He tries to, he tries to forgive and move forward because Amnon is his son and, and Tamar is his daughter. And, and he doesn't want to create more grief or problem. And so David kind of doesn't do anything. But Absalom gets so enraged that he rises up against Abnon and he kills him. And because of it, Absalom flees for his life and has to hide for some time. During the course of the time that he is away, David longs for Absalom. And when Absalom comes back, David forgives him. And wouldn't you know it, after Absalom is forgiven, the Bible tells us that Absalom rose up against David and declared himself to be king. Can I just behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I want you to catch this. It's very important. Before I get to the main scriptures this morning, you need to understand that David is walking with God after his failure. He's, he has to learn to walk with God through a very difficult time in his life. And he's the one who brought it on himself. And Absalom, he comes with an entourage of people to Jerusalem. And he has all intentions of killing his own father David. Taking over the kingdom and becoming the king of Israel. And David gets wind of it. And he has to run and flee and escape. And I want to read to you David's own words in, in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Look at his words here. This is what David did when he's running from his own son. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now, I read that to you. All I, I, I told you that whole story because it's very important. Because David, in the course of fleeing from his own son, writes a psalm. He writes a worship psalm to God that describes to us how we walk with God after we have failed. Can I read it to you this morning? Psalms chapter 3 and verse number 1 says this. Stay with me. Don't fall asleep on me, please. Psalms chapter 3 verse 1. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. 
He wrote that fleeing from his own son, hiding because of his own sin. And I want to just share with you that, that you can walk with God even after you have failed. Even when you have stumbled or fallen short, and even when you have sinned against God, you can still continue to follow the Lord. God will be with you. I know this about myself, that when I get in trouble, I usually deserve it. About 90% of the time I suffer is because I'm the one who said it. I have this problem, I call it hoof and mouth disease. I'm always sticking my own foot in my own mouth. I have a problem, I am very quick to, to lash out. If you push me in a corner, I have the tendency to come out swinging. If you taunt me, it takes it don't take too long to find the real me. Um, I have my own shortcomings, my own faults, my own failures, my own tailor-made sins. And I can tell you that there have been many times that I have suffered, not because I'm suffering for Christ, but because I did something. Because I failed. Because I stumbled. I remember um, as I was evaluating my own life as a young Christian, I came across 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Look at this verse, powerful verse. Uh, Peter said this. He said, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, when you, you take it patiently? What credit do you get when you're beaten for your own faults? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I remember reading that verse going, huh. Usually when I suffer, it's because of my faults. There wasn't many good things I suffered for. I don't know if, if I'm the only one in the house that's got struggles or has got shortcomings. I hope I'm not the only. I hope I'm not just preaching to myself this morning. I, I, I know what it's like to suffer because of me. I know what it's like to, to battle because of me, because I did that, because I was the perpetrator. I know what that's like. And I remember reading this verse going, man, I felt kind of, you know, sad. I felt kind of down. Like, man, I, I, I would like to suffer for the cause of Christ. I'd like to suffer because of righteousness. I don't want to suffer because of my own faults. And, and since I read this the first time, I have suffered some for, for the cause of Christ. But I can tell you 90% of the time that I suffer, it's usually because I was dumb. I hope I'm not the only dumb one in the house. I suffered because I'm the one who got me there. One day I sat down and began to take an account of what it takes to serve God after failure. It takes a lot of strength, doesn't it? It takes a commitment level and a stamina that's usually not seen. It takes a love, doesn't it? A real love. Uh, it takes real patience. I, I quickly and briefly wrote down some things uh, to differentiate what it's like to suffer for good and to suffer for your own faults. Look at this here. If you suffer for your good, usually your faith remains intact. If you suffer because you did something right for Christ, usually your faith is pretty strong at that point. Usually your confidence in God is pretty solidified if you're suffering for the good. If somebody comes and attacks you because you love God, usually you're going to put more confidence in God, right? 
If you suffer for your, if you suffer for good, usually your position in Christ is never brought into question. Usually your position in Christ is stronger because I suffered for the Lord. I'm, I'm serving the Lord. But when you suffer for your own faults and your own failures, usually your faith is shaken. Your faith is weakened. And when you suffer for your own faults, you're often, your confidence in God is blurred. You don't even, sometimes you don't even know if God is there or does God even want you anymore. When you suffer for your own faults, your position in Christ is usually questioned personally and by others. You ever had people look down on you? You ever made a mistake and folks found out and instead of lifting you up, they kicked you? Amen. Hope there's no kickers in the house. But can I pause for just a moment and just praise God for his keeping power? I don't think you heard me. I don't think you're with me. I said I want to praise him for his keeping power. He keeps us even when we fail. He keeps us. Can you just clap your hands right now? Come on. I, I mean, clap them with joy and, and excitement. Clap them, clap them with, with pride and, and clap them because you know God is a keeping God. Clap them, clap them, clap. Come on. I want to hear some hard claps, hard claps, hard claps. Come on, that's it. That's it. Now, now let me tell you what you're clapping for. You're clapping for the Christian today who failed God at one time in their life, but they're still serving God. That's who you're clapping for. That's not done often in church, but can I tell you we need to praise God for the ones who failed and are still serving Him because they said, I love Him too much to quit. I want to be committed to Him. I want to serve Him. Oh, man, that, that takes a whole nother level. I don't know if you know this or not, but when somebody's building a building, if they find an area that's weak or needs to be supported, they don't go over there and throw rocks at it and kick it just to see how weak it is. They build up and support it. They, they, they make it where it will not fall or stumble. Can I tell you, that's how Christians should be. Christians should see other Christians who have faults or failures or shortcuts comings and we should not beat them or attack them but we should support them and lift them up and strengthen them because at one time in our life we needed the same support I've said for years the only countables I know are Christians they're the only ones I know that eat their own when they're down our job is not to magnify the, fault, the faults of people, but yet sometimes in the church we've got Holy Ghost-filled fault finders. They think it's their job to root out the sins of other people. They're trying to pull splinters out of other people's eyes and they got beams in their own. Can't see straight, blurred, and they're still attacking folks, picking on everybody else's faults and failures. Can I tell you, that is not how we should be in this church. But when we see someone who has fallen, who is weak, we should uplift them. David teaches us in Psalms chapter 3 how to walk with God after failure. And the first thing I want to point out is this, that he overcomes the critics. Look at this. He overcomes the critics. 
Verse 1 and 2, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Everybody, he had to run from Jerusalem. He had to leave from Jerusalem. He had to overcome the people. Many are they who rise up against me. People are attacking me. They are against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Critical nature. The critical attacks. Can I tell you that when you fail the Lord, the very first words out of the enemy's mouth is, God's done. Am I right? The very first thing you hear in your own heart is God is finished. He don't want nothing to do with you. And David is hearing those words as he's fleeing Jerusalem, as Absalom is coming to kill him, as he is losing his throne. He feels that his heart, God, they're saying, you're done with me, God. The words of the critics are saying, you want nothing else to do with me. But can I tell you, there is nothing further from the truth. That is, God is not done with you because you failed. I'm going to say that again. God is not done with you because you failed. Far from it. I said it a million times. I'm going to say it till I die. When God saved you, he knew you were a fixer-upper. He knew you'd fall apart. Can I tell you that old building next door, every time we remodel that old building, we open up a can of worms. Can I tell you, your life is a can of worms that God opened up. And he's got all the worms falling out, but he knows how to deal with the worms of your life. Amen? He knows how to fix it and heal it and take care of it. And the enemy is constantly criticizing. We got the outside critic. Even some church folks are critical. Don't be a critical Christian. That needs to be said again. Don't be a critical Christian. Be a supportive Christian. David is battling the outside critic, but can I tell you some of the biggest critics we face are our, is ourself. I told the first service, I think I need to tell you too. Instead of telling the world to shut up, you need to shut up. You need to quit talking to yourself. <laughs> Sometimes you don't need the devil. You're your own worst enemy. You just keep beating the tar out of yourself for the time you fail, for the time you stumble. And all you do is keep pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding on your own self. When in truth, the truth is that God forgave you. That God still loves you. And so I say to you, Christian, shut up. Quit talking to yourself like that. David had to shut his ears to the things. Can I tell you, there have been times in my Christian walk, I had to shut my ears to the people around me, and I had to shut my ears to my own thoughts. Because the enemy will attack you and tell you God is done with you, and that is a lie. That is a lie. And David teaches us how to walk with God by overcoming the critical mind and the critical things that people might say. But then he teaches us his own, by his own confidence. David tells us his confidence. Look at these verses. These are his, this is his confidence. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me. Wait, wait, wait. 
there's a critical nature. God, there's, they're telling him, there's no help for you in God. He hears it in his own mind. But then he turns to the Lord and he doesn't pray this. He's not praying here. He doesn't say, Lord, be a shield for me. He says, Lord, you are my shield. You are my shield. You're the one who guards me and protects me. Even though the enemy's talking in my ear. Even though I hear my own thoughts in my mind. Even though I failed and I deserve to be right here where I am. Still, I know you're my shield. David says, I know who you are to me. You're my shield. But then my favorite part is he says, my glory. Now, that glory is important because the word glory means to be uplifted. It means to be beautified. It means, it means to be honored. And David at this time in his life is walking through a path that he designed by his own failure, by his own sin. And here he doesn't feel honored. He doesn't feel beautiful. He doesn't feel uplifted. And so he says when the world will not uplift me and when others will not see the beauty, when others will reject me and refuse me, he says, God, not only are you my shield, but you're my glory. You're the one who honors me. You're the one who see, that I find beauty in. You're the one who uplifts me. And then he says, you're the lifter of my head. Often when we fail the Lord, we often just put our head down in shame. And you may be looking at people in the natural, but on the inside your head is down. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit today is reaching into your heart and he's grabbing you by the chin because all you're doing is looking at your feet and he's lifting you up saying, I'm lifting up your head. Amen. That's, that's what God does. That's what God does. He, he lifts us up. And I love what David said. He said, I cried to the Lord with my voice. I, I appreciate private prayer. I love to get alone with God and, and just be in private. There's nothing wrong with that. There's power in private prayer. But there are times, Christians, where you don't need to just, you don't need to get in a private area. You need to cry out with your voice. Let the devil hear you cry out. Let the world hear you cry out. Let the critics hear you cry out. Let the people around you hear you cry out. And you bellow out, God, I need you right now. Oh, there's something powerful. Man, I, I would like to hear more men cry out like that. More godly men cry out to the Lord and say, God, I'm in desperate need of you. David said, God, you heard my voice. But not only, not only did he cry out, he said this, he heard me. I want you to know something. God has not turned his ear from you. He is far from turned his ear from you. He's, he's intent on listening to you. He hears you. David overcomes the critics. David, oh, he, 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 he's confident in who God is. He's my guard. He's my glory. He's the lifter of my head. And then David, he's, he knows the preservation of the Lord. Look at this verse. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Think about this. He's running from his own son. And he says, he says, God, you're my shield, my glory, the lifter of my head. You're the one who takes care of me. I, my confidence is in you, so I'm going to get some sleep. <laughs> his mind is not eaten up with anxiety or fear. 
His heart is not torn apart. Look at the very first words of verse 6. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. David is is grabbing a hold of the Lord because the Lord is the one who will sustain him through all of the struggle of his life, through all of the shortcomings of who he is. God is going to be his strength and preservation. I'm going to get some sleep. Why? Because the Lord, when I wake up, the Lord's going to be there. I'm going to go to sleep in the Lord, and I'm going to wake up in the Lord. And I know this, that when I close my eyes, He is there. And while I slumber, He is there. And when I arise, He is there. God will preserve me. God will cause me to be, be victorious again, again for those who are against me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. And at the time David wrote this, thousands of people were talking bad about David. Thousands of people were ready to kill him and promote Absalom to be the official king of Israel. And David said... I won't be afraid. And here's the thing. God told him in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. He's walking with God after he failed. David is staring fear in the face and saying, no way. I don't know if you've ever battled that, but when David said, I will not be afraid, I kind of feel him literally looking at fear at the front door of his heart going, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh. No siree, you're not welcome here. No fear here. No fear here. You're not allowed in my heart, not allowed in my mind. You're not allowed to destroy me. And so he pushes back against the fear of his own life. But then David even goes further. He knows the preservation of the Lord. He knows his confidence in the Lord and who his God is in his life. And let me tell you something. After you failed God, you, sometimes you need to know who God is and not necessarily who you are. Am I right, Christian? Because if all you do is look at you in the relationship, you got a lot of problems. Even if you didn't fail. <laughs> Amen. We all fall short. There's none righteous, no, not one. We not, none of us measure up. We need God. Amen? And David knew this. David knew this. But here's the important part. David knows the protection of the Lord. Look at the final verses here. David knows the protection of the Lord. He said, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. I want you to, he's quoting a verse here. It's the battle cry of Moses he's quoting. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, I don't have the verse for you, so let me read it. I'll quote it to you. Uh, Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, so it was. Oh, there it is right there. Praise be to Jesus. Wrong version. Do you have another version? We'll just wait for you. Don't worry. You can just take up my whole message. You come up here and finish preaching too. (laughs) New King James, you got that? No? All right. 
I'm going to read it to you in my version, all right? Numbers 10.35 says, So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. Psalms chapter 3, go back to my verse. Psalms chapter 3 and verse number 7 is exactly that quote. Arise, O Lord. And in the mind of the psalmist David, he is saying, let my enemies be scattered. Let those who fight against your will and purpose be scattered. Can I tell you that God has a way of scattering enemies? Amen. David is walking with God because of his own failure, and he knows the protection of the Lord. And so he says, Lord, arise. Fight for me. Can I tell you that the Lord fights for his people? He fights for us. When you were lost in sin, he fought for you. When you rejected him, he chose you. Do you realize how much God fights for you? You were so lost in sin, nobody would come for you. Nobody wanted to deal with you. Matter of fact, you had burned so many bridges. Family members had wrote you off, and you were down in the pits of sin. And the Lord come by and reached his hand down where nobody else could reach you. And he pulled you out. Why? Because he fights for his people. God fights for us. David said, arise, O Lord, save me. There's the prayer. Save me because nobody else can save like the Lord. Nobody can touch you like he can. Nobody knows you like he knows you. What I love about God is that he is so vast that while I'm preaching this word this morning, I'm talking to one person over here and they're being blessed in one area of their life, but someone over here is being blessed in a whole other area of their life. That's how powerful God is because God knows how to talk to you. He knows how to reach you. He knows how to speak into your life. I'm just preaching one message, but the message is bigger than what, what I'm preaching today. It goes further into you your heart and your life. God knows how to get to you. He knows the right words to say. He knows the right touch. He knows. God, David said, you fight for me, Lord. I like this. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. You fight for me in such a way that you make my enemies toothless. <laughs> I've actually prayed that prayer. <laughs> Lord, make them toothless. Amen. <laughs> Give them dentures, Lord. Give them dentures. My dad, my dad, he's he he he's lost all his teeth, and and um, I can tell you something about my dad. He, he's just a good old man, and he, he's so sweet. He, there's nothing scary about his face. When he takes his teeth out, that sunken nature there, nothing scary. But the guy can eat an apple with his gums. That's impressive. That's impressive. But no fear there. No grinding of the teeth. No, 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 no. God struck the enemies on the cheek. Can I tell you that God fights for you? Even... After you have failed him. 
And David is making sure that we see this in his psalm. Melissa, come to the piano. And then David says this. How do you walk with God after you failed the Lord so much? One, you got to know who God is. He's my shield. He's my glory. He's the one who lifts me up. You need to know that he'll preserve you and keep you. You need to know that God is, is going to give you strength even to lay down and get some sleep. No more anxiety. No more fear. He's going to give you all of that. God will sustain you. He, the Lord will keep you. And then he will protect you while you walk with him. Look at this latter part of the verse. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. You hear me? You hear that? It doesn't belong to me. You're not saved today because Pastor Bruce says so. I'm not saved today because you say so. There might be people out there that don't like you. Come on, anybody else in the house got some folks that just don't like you? <laughs> They wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> they don't, I got some folks in my life that I know that they don't technically care for me. I know that. But here's the thing. They don't decide whether I'm saved or not. Nobody, nobody takes that power. God's the only one who has the power to save. We're not saved, and, and I don't want to be offensive, but I'm, going, I'm going to, just going to say this. We are not saved because we went and confessed our sins unto a priest. You are not saved because your counselor says, okay, good for you, you're, you're doing better now. You're not saved because you come to the church. No, salvation belongs to the Lord. And David is saying this for a very important reason because he is, he is suffering from the consequences of his own faults and failures. The critics are saying there is no help from God for him. He's being attacked because he has failed the Lord. And he deserves what's happening to him. God even said, I will raise up adversity in your own family against you. And David knows that only salvation can come through him. It's not going to come because Absalom caves. It's not going to come because the people change their opinions. It's going to come because the Lord brings it to me. Now here's the thing about David's sin. He's not alone. I read to you in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 15 when he's running from Absalom, that he's climbing the Mount of Olives and he's got his head covered and he's weeping. And he's got his feet, no, no shoes on his feet, and he's walking up the Mount of Olives and he's crying out to God. And behind him is all the people that love him. Can I tell you that when you sin, there are still people that love you. There are still people that care about you. 
And they'll take their shoes off and they'll cover their heads and they'll weep with you as you go forward. The point is, God, didn't, God doesn't want you to quit. You go forward in God. I think about these people as I was preparing for this message. The first thing that came to my mind about these people is they didn't do anything to deserve to be there. It wasn't their sin that brought them there. It was David's. I guess it goes to warn us that we never sin alone, do we? Those who love us are hurt by the very things that we may, we may do or the sins that we may commit. I'll tell you one thing for sure. You'll find out real quick after you have fallen or failed the Lord who loves you the most. Because the ones who love you will weep with you, walk with you, and even sleep under the stars if so be it. But one thing is sure. The Lord is our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. The Lord is the one who saves, and we will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who might come against us. For the Lord has struck them on the cheekbone, and he has broken the teeth of the ungodly. God will bring you through every failure. The Bible says this, and then I'm done, I promise. The Bible says, a righteous man, not a sinful man, a righteous man will fall seven times and get back up again. The righteous man is not defined by the fall. He is defined by the getting up. So I say to you, Christian, I don't know what the enemy says to you, and I don't know what the critic is, and I don't know what maybe you've been battling or what shortcoming is in your life. I say to you, righteous one, get up. Get up. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, you are worthy of all praise and worthy of all glory.